Welcome to the Behind the Surface podcast presented by the International Surface Fabricators Association. ISFA exists to serve industry professionals involved in the fabrication of manufactured surfacing materials. With each episode, Behind the Surface inspires fabricators to take their business to the next level. Now with your host, Nancy Bush. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Behind the Surface podcast. I'm Nancy Bush, Executive Director of ISPA, and today I'm here with my good friends, Kyle Welker, who is the COO of LPI Laser Products. Um, Kyle uh, has been involved with so many parts of the stone industry in the last seven years, but he really does play a pivotal role in overseeing the company's day-to-day operations and strategic initiatives. Plus, uh, his passion for the stone industry and dedication to excellence has earned him a reputation as a dynamic, and I can attest to that, uh, forward-thinking leader. So welcome, Kyle and Dan. Hello, hello. Daniel Peter, you are the director uh, in marketing for LPI. I've worked with Dan for a few years now, and a lot of fun I've had with Dan. Boy, a lot of TICE events, that's for sure. Um, he's had over 20 years of marketing experience, um, but five years in the stone industry specifically. So he's really focused, uh, and this too I can attest to, building and sustaining a strong brand reputation that has really resulted in an increased loyalty and recognition of LPI. So thanks for joining us today, Dan. Well, thank you for having us. Man, Kyle, I just kind of want to dive in here. First thing I think of when I think of, um, you know, going digital, first of all, I think, you know, there's probably some folks out there that immediately break out in a couple of hives, right? Because it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a daunting task if you're not, if you're doing everything manually. And so I kind of want to just talk a little bit about some of the pros and cons of dig- digital versus manual. And you know what you know what kind of happens if you're not ready for that leap and, and you're just kind of thinking about it, you know, where do you begin there? Well, you really hit the nail right on the head. Is there are some people where it's almost it's like a, a dirty word to say. It's like, oh my god, I'm going digital. It's like, hey, it's gonna make you better. And it's sometimes people are scared of the unknown, right? Like it's can be very daunting. And we feel a lot of people who use flip phones, right? <laughs> and that's really where it's like going digital is going to make your business better, right? It's going to help all across because you're just, you're getting that one-to-one digital representation of your kitchen. So like we talked to so many customers, Dan and I have traveled the world and gone in front of digital customers here in the U.S., customers who are going digital over in Asia Pacific, Europe. And really it's at the end of the day, we tell them, it's like, this is how the process starts. And there's not one digital process that I can go to every customer and say, this is going to work for you. Every shop's different right? That we have guys who, hey, they still do some manual templates here, but all the ones they do in digital, all their run-of-the-mill kitchens they do is digital. So really the biggest thing is we, we always preach to customers is know your business, but then also know what's going to set you up for success, right? And that's the biggest thing. It's like, hey, like we have training, we have all these things to support you, but we don't know your business. I don't run your business. I'm based out of Colorado. Dan's based out of here in Illinois. Nancy, you're based out of the uh, Pacific Northwest. Everyone's a little different, but it's important to know your business and what your goals and expectations are of digital measuring. 
right? That's where it all starts, right? Do I want to capture the cabinets and do I want to create a finished drawing on site? Or do I just want to get enough that my team back in the office can finish it? It's just knowing the business and then setting attainable goals to set yourself up for success. One of the things that I always find really funny, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's really good on this, is probably once a month, we get a customer who buys a laser. And we had this happen last week in Vegas. This guy bought a laser and he's like, can you come out and train us next week? And we're like, okay, yeah, we'll come out and help you. Now, granted, we, we prefer more lead time, go through a normal training process, but we're here to help all of our customers. And this guy had to measure a 500 square foot casino bar with wrapped columns. And this was his first job going digital. And this happens all the time to us. It's like, we have people who they want to start off. They're like, you know what? I'm going to run my first running race. Instead of running a 5K, they're like, I'm going to jump right in and the New York marathon's where I'm going to start. And that's, but it's knowing your business and setting yourself up for success. We're here to help you, but that's not how I would go digital. I'd start, I'd baby step into it. And that's really the big thing is when you go digital, it's getting the little obtainable parts and just little wins after little wins builds momentum and success. And that's the key thing. It's just knowing, hey, what am I going to do? How can I, let's measure a vanity. Then let's measure a kitchen and go from there. So, do you, I mean, in a way, it's sort of setting yourself up for success expectation-wise too, right? So for, for a minute, you're going to maybe do almost like double work, right? Would you advocate for that? Like, so you're, you're still templating manually, but you're, you're also templating digitally as you kind of learn and grow into that, right? I mean. And, you know, I would say it's all about the person's confidence level. The biggest thing is when you leave a job site, you want to be 100% confident. I know I check all my measurements and when I leave with the laser and I digitally measure it, I'm confident in what I do. I know there are people that's going to take them time to get that confidence in what they do. And if that sets you up for success, do it. But it's really cool is seeing when somebody has that moment where they're like, I can't go back to being manual. I tried to do it. I just so much more effective and efficient. There's a gentleman out of... Um, Rhode Island, his name's Jack Short. Jack Short has been in this industry for like 35 years. Uh, he's one of the most talented people at fixing countertops and doing in-house repairs I've ever seen. And Jack called me a year ago wanting to go digital. And uh, Jack is a old school New England guy, has a thick accent, loves the lobster roll. It's, he's, he's, he's East Coast New England through and through. And Jack was like, I want I to go manual, but I know digital is the way to go. And it was really cool. One day he called me and he goes, I don't know why I didn't do this 10 years ago, Kyle. It's so much easier. He's like, I'm not carrying all the templates. I'm able to do it. And that's a really cool part is once they get that confidence that they know this is the right way. So to your point, Nancy, you can start by doing both, but it's all about doing what makes you successful to be confident in doing this for you and your business. And I also think the, the biggest thing too is we understand something different is scary. It's challenging. So doing that transition, we understand that and part of our training program is to kind of walk them through that. But we have a lot of people that have been doing it for manual templating for years and they feel like if I go to digital, all that experience gets thrown out the door, but that's not true. What we tell them is, you have that tribal knowledge, you have that experience, that's not going away. In fact, that's gonna help you transition in the digital because all that knowledge is just done instead of manually, digitally. Same concepts of capturing points, the one-in-one -one -one representation, it's just done digitally now. So you're not losing that experience and, and you're 
you know, your worth in this, in, with the company and the industry, that knowledge is still valuable and still there, but just translated digitally. I do, um, as you know, us at Laser Products, we do have a little bit of a sense of humor. Those of us who got to know, just a tad, yeah. uh, not too much, just a little. And one of the things I always joke with our customers is uh, I had a customer go, well, like, what if my glue skills go down? And I told them, you should pick up a dazzling or another craft. You're going to just reapply those glue skills. And that's really what, it, to, to Dan's point, is we're not trying to like take that tribal knowledge and throw it up. That knowledge is so valuable, but you're using a more effective and efficient tool. And it's also helping everyone downstream. When you go digital, you're repeating processes. And like one thing is like, my dad said this, he's like, do work right the first time. And that's what digital is, right? It's like, hey, we're, we're creating that digital one-to-one file. So my installers can have it. My fabrication team can have it. My customer service team can have it. I'm not just bringing back this big Luan template of someone's kitchen. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with manual templating at all. Yeah. It's just, it's the environment is very competitive. You have other shops out there trying to do the same thing. And there's a lot of business to be had. So in order you know, to survive and sustain, try to get more jobs done per week and going digital is the best way to do that. So again, nothing wrong with digital or manually templating, but if you want to become more efficient, get more jobs and become faster, digital, you know, going digital in general is the way to go. Well, time is money, there is no doubt. So what makes a good template? I mean, what kind of best practices can you can you set for making that best uh, you know, a good template? Well, and I think the biggest thing is creating repeatability. One thing that's a very unique aspect of our industry is you're going to have five new builds that all have the same layout and they're all going to be different dimensionally. And they're all going to be a little bit different. Cabinets might be in a different place. So it's creating repeatability for yourself. But to create repeatability, it's about process and procedure. And so creating the processes to set yourself up for success. I know that Dan has heard me say this a million times in training customers and working with customers. I go wall, cabinet, sinks, wall, cabinet, sinks. That's the order I shoot in. So the reason I do that is a customer can walk up to me while I'm doing that and I know where I left off. I finished the walls, I'm doing cabinet, now I gotta do my sink. And it's creating that repeatable process that you're going through and you're capturing the same thing over and over again. And it's creating that muscle memory. It's like riding a bike. We've all followed the first time you rode a bike. Um, but we get the muscle memory built. So then when you're going into these houses, you just, it's just muscle memory and you're setting yourself up for success. But then the other part of that is knowing and defining what you want out of it. So great is like, hey, all walls are different. To the naked eye, walls look flat. But when you're using that laser, you can see there's bows, there's curves, and they might not be as flat as we think. So it's, hey, how often do I want to scribe a wall? We always recommend every 12 to 18 inches, but sometimes, I know shops out in Southern California in the Malibu area, they want to go every two inches because they're in these billion dollar houses. But hey, what do I want to do to be successful? How often do I want to capture it? And then also making sure that like creating a good digital template is only half the battle. The other half is just capturing all the other information. Um, I did a house in Park City that was at the top of one of the old condo buildings and somebody wanted a full slab island in their house. And the elevator was like, I barely fit in the elevator. I don't know how a slab's going to fit in the elevator. And so that's the other part of it is, hey, we're going to have to get the slab up somewhere. So it's taking photos, looking at the site conditions, capturing that, but then defining that for your business 
so that your installers know what you want in your measure text so that you can have uniformity between both. So everyone has the same expectation of, hey, we only do slabs this big because we can get into the house with the team. So it's collecting all of that site information to make sure that you're setting yourself up for success. And lastly, biggest thing about a good template is photos. They're worth a thousand words. I know it's very cliche to say, but like take as many photos and because you are the eyes and the ears of the installers, the customer service. Often this is the first time that we've been in this site. So take as many photos as one. When I used to have measure text working under me, I told them, I go, I'm, you're never going to hear me get mad that you took too many photos. And I had a guy who took that to heart. He took 100 photos per job. But I was like, yeah, but we know exactly what's going on. So it's getting good measurements. It's creating your own standard and then capturing all the site conditions. Well, part of the photo thing, too, is liability. So yeah, CYA. Yep. CYA. CYA, exactly. Yeah. So I guess I... The, Let's say, let's say I've, uh, I've been doing it the same way for a very long time manually. And of course the process is in, is in maybe in my head, right? I roll through the same thing, cutting the luon, all the things. So when you talk about creating, uh, you know, a, a repeatable process like that, uh, do you have like a like a defined like a checklist? Do you do you help your fabricators create such a thing? What does that look like? Uh, we even go a step further, Nancy. So we have a dedicated training team because we understand that training is where all this starts. Um, our trainers have years and years of experience at doing this. We give you a checklist and we start, we go through it all, and we, we try to teach you the best practices of digitally templating. So we, we have a checklist, we have this, and we go through with you on site, whether it's our web training or on site, we really just help you say, hey, this is the process that we recommend. Now, we're trying to give you a construct where you can mold this for your business however you wanna go. But we really, we have a checklist, we have that. And then also we have a wealth of online resources too that we share with people that really help them give them the tools to do this. Because what we wanna do is we wanna give you enough tools that you can mold this into your own. Because like we talked about, Everywhere in the country does things differently. I know Pacific Northwest is different than uh, Colorado. Now you guys have better seafood, which I will accept, but <laughs> your processes are a little different than ours. Yeah, I mean, in fact, we have a template or checklist built in our into our new software, and uh, it'll be customizable because, like we talked about, each shop is different. So depending on how much information do you want your templaters to capture, do you want them to edit the drawing in the field? So. You'll have checklists to make sure you have your overhangs or your corner radiuses, anything else, you know, that you want. Make sure you grab pictures and customer sign-offs. All that can be put into that checklist to make sure your templator knows before you leave that job, make sure you capture all these points. Well, it's funny. Dan brought up a topic that I, I think is really valuable to talk about for a little bit. That's creating documentation, right? The easiest way to create a repeatable process is creating a checklist. Right? When I was young, my mom had a checklist for me when we were going on vacations because I think I went too many vacations with, to the beach where I forgot a swimsuit. <laughs> so she created a checklist for me. Now, granted, we can learn from eight-year-old Kyle, I hope. And, <laughs> uh, but like a checklist is creating a repeatable process in a document, but also it's a communication, setting expectations. So documentation, like we have these checklists, we have it, we have it built into our software. Using them are really, really effective. I'll tell you, once I got a checklist, I always had a swimsuit on vacation. Man. And so 
these checklists and having these processes and having supporting documents are always going to help you because really it's all about communication. We can talk about it all day. Communication is the secret sauce of any business. If you can effectively communicate between parties, you're going to be successful most of the time. Now, failure is inevitable, but we can learn from failure. But if you have the processes, you have the documentation, it's going to really help you be successful. Well, you know what I love even more than a good checklist is a template of a checklist. Yes. I love that. It just takes so much of the, um, you know, the, the heavy lifting out of the equation. And of course, anything can be customized, but I, lo I love the idea of a template uh, to start because it just gets it going. Because I'll bet you that it was, you know, of more than a few vacations where your mom was buying you a swimsuit that was at home then again on the next trip before she went, you know what, we're going to have a little checklist cut up. <laughs> I, 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 I cannot confirm or deny that one. <laughs> and so this does takes a few of those, uh, you know, a few of those painful learning curves out of the equation, which I really like. Um, one of the things you've written here on the bullet point, uh, Kyle and Dan, is uh, common area areas for errors and remakes. Ooh, a fabricator favorite word, remakes. Right? I mean, that's that's where everything gets right down that sink, right? One of them is sink centers. You want to talk a little bit about these? Some of the common ones are, you know, sink centers, uh, missing backsplash, or even failure to communicate with the customer, right? Customer said, customer wanted an eight inch, you put a six inch overhang. And that's really where like checklists go or key is like, hey, making sure that these things are often forgotten, you put it. I will shamelessly plug that in our new software, we've tried to automate a lot of these because being a former fabricator, I probably have a lot of scar tissue from remakes. And that's why we've kind of tried to build it into the software. But really it's like sink centers are really common. A backsplash that needs to come up to a high bar is a commonplace. And that's why it's like the biggest thing is with this, with remakes, they're all teachable moments, right? We can all learn from mistakes. So when you have these mistakes, it's making sure that people are aware of their mistakes. We're all human, we all make mistakes, but if we go without talking about a remake, it's a lost teachable moment, right? And if it happens again and you're like, hey, why did it happen again? Well, I forgot to tell him that he made this remake once before. So that's why when I used to work with a lot of install managers, I told them, I go, every time's a teachable moment. And if you don't help the person get better with the mistake, we fail. What were some of the common things that you find on errors with sync centers? Uh, like what are the specifically so the, the, the biggest thing is like with sync centers actually the biggest one of sinks is if this customer supplied sink making sure the sink fits in the cabinet you would be surprised if somebody has a 30 inch cabinet and they're trying to put a 32 inch sink it happens all the time and when you're a measure tech you're quickly going through that's why we often tell people shoot the inside of the box the other one is you know not taking the time to take a tape measure and say hey this is it because some older sink cabinets are funky and it's making sure that you properly denote that. And this is the sink center because the sink center is truly one of the most critical design functions of a kitchen. I think all of us can agree when a sink's not centered, it looks ugly. And that's why it's really important to get that sink center correct. Speaking of mistakes, so my uh, notes here today say not missing backsplash, but mating backsplash. And I thought, hmm, that must be uh, with, you know, the vein match or something like that. But Maybe it's making baby backsplashes. Anyways, I just had to share that because I, I don't, I now know that it, it's missing that you're referring to. Oh no, well, actually, so, it's also baby backsplash too. 
There's yeah. so there are mating backslash. Okay, uh, Nancy knows and Dan knows. I'm having twins, so I, I thought you were just going to bring up the twins. In here. <laughs> I was I was heading down that path. So well, I knew you were. I knew you were. I'll be teaching the installer someday. No, mating backsplash is when you have a high bar or an upper bar, um, but you have a countertop and a high bar. And you need to make sure that backsplash goes from the top of the lower surface to the bottom of the, the high surface. That's a great example. Or another example is, let's say um, very frequently you have a picture window or a window or a garden window behind your primary sink. Oftentimes, the trim of that sits lower than the rest of it. So a really common remake, and I've seen this all the time, is, hey, I put a four-inch backsplash. Well, that four-inch backsplash is going to be right into the window. So it's measuring for the backsplash to say, oh, hey, catching this. So mating backsplash is any time that you have a backsplash that has to butt up to a surface, whether that be a window, whether that be a high bar, whether that be tile. Some people have existing tile, which, you know, there's conversations of that. And that even brings up a good point, is when you have some of these site conditions, it's letting your team know how you want them to handle Right. If you're mating up to something, sometimes you have to have the conversation is we're going to come back after install and do this. Because if we don't do that, then we're going to have to, we don't know where we're going to shim the tops. We're going to set ourselves up for failure. So it's better to come back after after install to remeasure for the mating backsplash. Okay, good to know. So process and procedures. Hmm. So we talked a little bit about this, but um, I'm going to have you elaborate just a little bit more about creating some standards and flow. Yeah. Create that repeatable process. So um, part of that is really defining the roles and responsibilities and expectations with your staff, right? So what kinds of things do you want to do? You want to really hone in on in that in that bullet item. The biggest thing on this one is just knowing who's responsible for what during a measure and what your company policies are. So the reason we just talked to, like we talked about mating backsplash is you as a shop need to say, hey, we're going to come back and do it after install or we're going to try to do it here, but making sure they know what it is. It's either one or the other. Because when you leave gray, any gray area is going to set you up for some failures, right? Potential opportunity for things to go awry. So that's really with it is creating just the roles and responsibilities. Like a great example is, you know, who's responsible for the seam and when are you placing the seam? A lot of shops talk about this and, you know, there's not, I can't sit here and tell you, hey, you should do it here, here, and here. Every shop's different. It's knowing your business to do that. But with it, it's making sure that the measure techs and your design team know who's responsible for it. Because last thing you want is, let's imagine we have the Nancy, Dan, and Kyle shop based out of Hawaii, which I think was where we should all put it. <laughs> and we have four measure techs. Two place it in the field, two don't. It just creates inconsistency. So it's setting some of that expectation so you create the uniformity and everyone knows that, hey, this is what I need to be successful with the measure. And that really goes a long way to helping reduce some of the remakes and reduce some of the potential error points that you have in the digital process. And also it's just making sure that the biggest thing is that you have these clear expectations. So everybody knows. And that's why like I often tell shops to create a standard like, hey, this is what I want a standard measure to look like. So you can fall back on that and use the documentation to help you. Could you have some shops that say just capture the on-site measurements and we'll bring it to shop do all the offsets yep. and radiuses and stuff? But there's some shops that 
well, they've done in the field. And, and then a great example, there's some shops that I went to that will, they'll go as far as putting the fabrication offsets in, in the field. Mm. And they're basically producing a file that's ready to go straight to your CAM and CAD software so and go right to the machine. So there's a wide range. Like we have the, just capture, just capture the cabinets. That's all I want you to do to get it as close as possible to go to the salt. Mm. And there's everything in between. And that's where if you set your expectation, what works for you, then you're clearly defining that for your team. So ground one, I'm just thinking about this. I'm kicking tires, thinking about going digital templating. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about defining all these expectations. And it's super cool to have templates, you know, checklist of templates of checklists and templates of expectations and roles and responsibilities. But knowing that every shop's going to vary so much in this, um, do you have some resources uh, that show kind of different processes like videos or other tools um, that you've created or developed that maybe, you know, a shop that was thinking about it, they could get on, I don't know, YouTube and check out how some shops that maybe are similar in the type of work and the size that they do could kind of check out and see how they're doing those things. So we have a bunch of good, good resources for our customers and just people in general. Um, we have a YouTube channel. We are about to actually launch something. This will actually be the first people heard of it. Um, we are launching learn.laserproducts, which is our LMS. It's an online learning platform that goes through. It's self-guided. It shows you all the different best practices. It goes through all that. But then also one that is really, really valuable is we have a Facebook group called the LPI Knowledge Share. We can sit here all day and talk. I'm a former fabricator. A lot of our team are former fabricators, measure techs, installers. But we have, um, I think it's almost 2,000 users on this. Something that'd be Something or two, yeah. um, It's a bunch of our users who are using our software on a daily basis. And I'll tell you what's really cool for us is seeing people go there with post their jobs, but then people responding, hey, how'd you do that? And that's a great resource too. So we have our structured stuff, but then also we have these these communities we created where you can go to your peers and ask. And it's really cool. Like there's a guy out of um, Lakeside, Todd, who he posts really cool things and he, he's doing these crazy, uh, crazy hot tubs and crazy floors and showers. And then there's guys who are just going digital asking like, Hey, what advice would you do? So we have all these great resources that are meant to help you because your peers are going to be the best. They're doing this every day. We're here and we have best practices too, but it really does help. I'll tell you, there's a really cool story. Um, there's Renee, I forget the name of his shop. Oh, yeah. Um, he's out of Virginia. And he posted on Facebook. He was actually one of our first customers to get on Raptor. Renee bought his first laser, I want to say five or six years ago. And Renee called us one day and told him that he posted something of just a pretty everyday measure that he did. And a guy reached out to him and he was four hours away and said, Hey, can I come spend a day with you? I just want to see your digital process. And this guy drove up and spent a day with Renee and then called us and bought a laser, caught on Raptor. Cause he's like, Renee showed me how he was doing. He goes, if hey, Renee's process might not work for me, but I saw all these good opportunities for my business to get better. And that's where like, we want to connect people together, right? Whether you do what we do or what some of our customers do, either way is a great resource to help you. Yeah, it's, it's not any different than Nancy, what ISFA does. Um, we're just, you know, we created an, a community environment for, for LPI users and to interact with our staff and everything. But yeah, like Kyle said, it's, it's the peer-to-peer -peer interaction where you have other fabricators and installers 
shop owners talking with each other regarding the same product that everyone has. And yeah, there's more than one way to, to solve a problem, to use our system, to template. And like I said, shops are different from coast to coast, uh, country to country. And I know, I, I think our team learns a lot to find all the regionality when it comes to techniques or challenges and everything. And I mean, it educates us and improves what we put out there as far as products and services. Well, you know, I love that so much, right? Um, I think that that's what kind of makes the world go around for fabricators is they're so, by and far as an industry so helpful to one another. But if you don't, if you don't know how to find those other fabricators that are similar in scope and scale to ask those questions, it can be it can be tricky. And so it's great that you um, provide that resource as well, just connecting, right? But so now we're now we're getting some, uh, you know, the business side getting better, right? But how does the how do you get better within the business? You know, how do you get your staff to so you're now you've got them kind of rolling along and we're and we're getting started. Maybe still have training wheels on the bike, so to speak. How do we really get better at templating? So there's a couple things to do to get better. One, no mistakes are going to happen, right? We're all human. We all make mistakes. Um, I had a measure tech who worked for Front Range. His name's Chris Clark. Uh, I've talked to Brad. I've talked to Brian from Front Range before. We all say Chris is a great measure tech. Uh, Chris is exactly what you want in a measure tech, but Chris always used to tell me, he goes, I make one remake a year. And when Chris used to work with me, it was December 28th when he said that. I go, well, Chris, let's knock on wood. The year ain't over yet. Sure enough, the next day he had a remake. I was like, Chris, we jinxed ourselves. So my point there is everybody makes mistakes, even your best. And make sure that every mistake is a teachable moment and we build off it. Because if we don't take advantage of that teachable moment, we, it's a lost opportunity, right? So that's the biggest thing. Also, it's creating feedback mechanisms. Having template meetings. If, you're, if you have multiple people, having template meetings, right? Where you can have this. If you're a smaller shop with just you, it's taking time to actually go look at training documents where you're trying to break some of the bad habits. We all form bad habits over time. You can call my wife and she'll she'll tell you what happens when she leaves town. It's a thousand a little bit messier than it should be. <laughs> and that's the she comes back with constructive feedback and the house isn't messy as much. But to this point, constructive feedback and knowing that we're going to form bad habits and breaking out of those bad habits by seeing what others do, seeing the documentation we post, just making sure that you're continually striving to get better. Continuous improvement is something that it, no matter what aspect you're doing, you can always get better. And that's what I appreciate. Like we have really good metro techs who post on our, our forums who are striving to get better because they're passionate about what they do. And knowing that like right when you first go digital, it might feel daunting, but in two years you'll look back and be like, man, I, have, I made a mistake here. So I started doing this. Oh, hey, I learned this from this person. So it's reaching out and knowing that you can get better and creating just a mechanism around you to get better. I like the shops that have contacted us that have used our system for years, but they when they bring on new people because of turnover or whatsoever, hey, can you help with kind of ongoing training with either new staff or even current staff? Because, you know, some people need refreshers. I love that because like you, you kept saying, it was it's ongoing learning because the industry, it's not, it's, it's, it's not the same for 20 years. It's ever evolving, ever changing. And to 
to have that mindset and not get stagnant in your processes or the resources you give to your employees, but having that ongoing training will help you stay ahead of the curse, be up on trends and challenges and, and, and such. So implementing that as part of your program, I think is important. Well, there's really cool, uh, in a previous life of mine, I went to a corporate retreat where they did some of like the, the, the activities you do, team building thing. And we played the game telephone. Right. So Nancy, I would tell you something then you would tell it to Samantha. Samantha would tell it to Dan and then Dan would hear what he said. At the end of it, like I could say, like. My name is Kyle. It could come back at the end is Kyle is tall. And the reason I brought this up is what some customers have done is they, they come to us a lot because they know that, hey, when I have my guy trained, he trains bad habits. And then that bad habit gets passed down from generations. And now that bad habit is a fundamental thing. And that's where it's like just understanding that bad habits can form and maybe some bad habits are good which is kind of a contradicting statement but knowing that when you continue to tribally pass down things you might not have an effective process and you might be creating your own mistakes and be your own worst enemy and that's why that continuous improvement and looking out what's in the world is going to always help you yeah the continuous education another aspect of it is uh, cross training i've seen a lot of shops do more cross training i think out of necessity more than anything else because you know some of the labor labor constraints yeah actually my favorite thing when i was managing uh measure techs and installers is once a month i would send a measure tech out on a job that they measured with the installers and it is with a small shop if you're probably measuring and installing your own jobs so you're getting that feedback but it's it giving you that feedback loop so you can see that oh hey you know if I would have put a scene here, it might have been easier for them to get in and all that. It's also really eye-opening. And also it gives you a sense of pride because as a measure tech, you never get to see the finished product. Mm -hmm. And so you get to see the finished product. So the, the teams that have the bigger, have both the measure team and the install team, I always used to send people out with the installers. It's just such great feedback. Yeah. Well, making that connection full circle, right? Because they play off each other so much for success, right? It's so critical. So when you're thinking about getting better um, and, and evaluating, which I think is so important, I mean, being intentional is so tricky, right? You, to your point, you kind of fall off the wagon, the house is a mess, the wife comes home, she says you didn't vacuum, now you're in the doghouse, it just is a cycle, right? So um, that evaluation, that constructive feedback is so critical, but how and what things, what KPIs should you be tracking uh, to really kind of start measuring that data over time about getting better in that effort of increasing um, your success and your productivity. How, you know, what KPIs do you think should be tracked? We start with the most obvious one. It's Remix. Now, there are a couple different ways to talk about Remix. And I think all of these kind of play off each other and they all help you paint a bigger picture. First off is number, just number of remakes. It's, hey, how many remakes have I had versus number of jobs? That, that tells you how many customers that you've had an issue with, right? And you can almost say that, hey, that's number of customers that we failed. The other thing, the other remake one is square footage, right? You could have a remake that's just a little backsplash and it's five square feet, or you can have one that's 65 square feet. So that helps you kind of provide scope of how big of an issue it is. Then also the dollar amount of remakes. That's going to help tell you how that's affecting your bottom line. Kind of give you, if you use all three of those for remake, it's going to give you a really good picture. You know, I talk to shops that have a really high remake percentage on jobs. They're like, oh, we're at like 
5%. And then I start talking to them, like, I look at their square footage, it's incredibly low. And they're like, yeah, we just, we got some backsplash issues, which is probably not a bad problem. Then you talk to shops that have a really low job. They're like, hey, we're, we're like 1%, 2%, but you look at the square footage and they're remaking whole jobs. So by having all three of these, it really helps you understand hey, what are my remakes and then where can I get it? But then with that, getting into the subcategories of remakes, which is probably a little bit higher analytics and, oh, Nancy, we could spend the rest of the day talking about this. this it might be a follow-up to this, just talking about measure remakes, <laughs> is the making sure you categorize what it is. So then you can start to look for trends and all that. Like, you know, I've had measure texts that, you know, struggle with certain applications and getting that is going to give you the analytics where you can say, yeah, we need to train here, here, and here. Maybe full height splashes or something you frequently get wrong. So having that one other layer of kind of application or reasoning is really going to help. And also making sure with that, that you don't get into scope creep. I've seen some shops that have like 500 different reasons. I was like, there's too many reasons. And there's also people that just have a remake. So somewhere in between that, having enough where you can get that visibility of, yes, it's full life backsplashes or this or that, where you can truly help diagnose the issues. Didn't you have a story one time of a guy who kept making the same mistake and you couldn't figure out yeah. exactly why? And there was a guy that used to work for me who was a measure tech who, he was very good measure tech, but like consistently once a month or so, he'd get a remake. And I just like, I was looking, 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 and I actually had to do some analytic diving. And I started to notice that it was always a bull nose that he got wrong. And the reason that he always got a bull nose wrong was we had a color palette that we had where it was a red wall and it was a, a green edge for that. And he, I come to find out that he's colorblind. And so when he was putting the color on there, he wasn't denoting the proper edge, so it was the wrong edge. So it, it's, <clears throat> It's just little things like that. It's getting the stats. You can say, oh man, I actually talked to him. And he's like, oh, I'm colorblind, Kyle. And I was like, oh, you should have told me earlier. We could have done other things. We could have fixed this. We could have changed it. Well, you so, just his remake rate by 100% with that one that one realization, right? I mean, yes. only, that was the only one. So um, that that changed his batting average for sure. That's a oh, big well, And a lot of it is like, actually, you brought up the best analogy. KPIs are like baseball stats. If you look at batting average alone, it's getting painted a picture. That's why you want to look at on-base percentage, doubles, triples, war, all the baseball stats. And that's why like, I often talk about like square foot measured per day, jobs measured per day, things like that. Like once you mix this all together, it really paints a big picture. Like for example, if I told you a measure tech made one remake a month, you're like, that might be a little high. But if he's doing 200 jobs, that's not bad. It's all about adding the perspective to it so you can get a better idea. So instead of money ball, is it money stone? Money stone? Money stone? That could be our first I, I think that should be our first book. <laughs> money stone. I love it. Well, my mind must have been on uh, batting averages because our little local um, B-League team, uh, we went to a game and I watched four consecutive back-to-back -back home runs. First time oh. ever in the stadium. It was amazing. It was amazing. So, um, you know, that that one a month. But when you think of the dollars uh, and what that can do to a, you know, to a batting average of, you know, how many jobs, depending on the size of the business, it's it's pretty scalable. Yeah. And that's why it's also like the dollars is really important. This, too, is just understanding the impact that's going to have on your business. Right. And understanding that, like, not all remakes are created equal fortunately. 
and it's just adding the perspective of it. And it's making sure that you are mindful of your remakes and that if you have the remake issues, addressing it so it doesn't become a bigger problem, right? And that's why the KPIs. KPIs are just helping you get analytics into your business. And sometimes you can KPI yourself to death. You can be like, I have all these billion, like Moneyball is a really good example of KPIing yourself to death. And it's sometimes it's chasing the rabbit where you can still work with a simple KPI, be just as effective as if you have a hundred KPIs. And the big thing it just comes back to is knowing your business, knowing what sets you up for success. And then also just that continuous improvement. That's what KPIs really help you do is helps to point you in the right direction. This is where we can get better. Well, you know, to begin, you must start in, in, you know, starting out small with a few things too, uh, that are, you know, the repetition part of it, of tracking those, you can, you can slide in other measurables and it's not as daunting, right? But just really starting with those three, uh, you know, your remakes, your square footage uh, by day and week and your number of jobs a week, that's where it all starts. Yeah, that really, and that will give you the pulse of your measure department, the pulse of your digital process. That's all you want to do is you want to know the pulse of it. Similar to that, you want to know the pulse of your install. Because once you start looking at these, one of the big things is, you know, I've worked with shops that like, hey, they can install 10 jobs a day, but they can only measure four jobs a day. You're always going to have, it's going to help you understand if you have a bottleneck or you have an influx in area, how can you address it? And that's why some of these are just so, so important because it allows you to get the pulse of your business. That's awesome. Well, if those who are listening today uh, follow those three things, it's a it's a great, fantastic start for sure. Um, Kyle, Dan, I'm so appreciative of all your support of our association, and I love I love that you have your um, spirit of community uh, with your fabricators as well, and uh, that's really what ISPA is all about. And so. Thank you again for your support, your sponsorship of the association, your dedication. We had a great time a couple of weeks ago at, at the uh, ISPA Fabricator Crawl. That was so much fun. Um, Thank you for coming to our beautiful, I, I think this is the first time you've been to our beautiful it office. Was, it was the first time and it was lovely for sure. The chocolate cake was amazing. So if it ever shows up again, uh, you know, for those who listen in, you want to definitely sign up so that you can, you can join us there because it was a great time. And, uh, it's a, it's a you know, I think, I, I think this, I think that um, if someone is thinking about anything to do with templating, uh, it would it would serve them well to uh, reach out to these folks because uh, they really do care about your business and timing and when to do things and you know adding something like this into your business can be daunting for sure but um, we definitely have the right support people with our friends at LPI so thank you for joining us today. Thanks for listening. To hear more in-depth viewpoints, gain actionable insights and powerful tools to help you succeed, subscribe to the Behind the Surface podcast presented by the International Surface Fabricators Association. To learn more about ISFA, visit our website at www.isfanow.org.